Today I'm continuing a series that I started in Romans, and I tell you, I love this teaching. These truths have just revolutionized my life. You know, I saw some of these things when the Lord touched me, and I mean, I had a miraculous encounter with the Lord in 1968, and God just poured His love out in my life. And it was at a time when I realized for the first time that I was just a religious hypocrite, that I was a Pharisee. I didn't mean to be, but I just became one through religion. And at my very worst in my life, God just poured His love. So I knew that God's love for me was unconditional. But I couldn't understand it because everything I had been taught through Scripture showed conditional love and conditional acceptance. And I really struggled to get my mind renewed and changed from the old traditions and doctrines of men. And the book of Romans was just essential. This radically changed my life. And I'm excited. Every time I go back over this, it just blesses me. And I pray that this is having the same impact on you. This is contrary to our religious teachings today. If you don't recognize that, it's because you aren't paying attention. This is not how the vast majority of Christians are being taught through our religious system. The book of Romans and the things that it says and teaches would not be acceptable in most churches today. They may take a passage of Scripture, you know, like Romans 3.23, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And they might take a passage like that and use it But to teach the whole principles and the grace that is taught in the book of Romans is as rare as hen's teeth in Christianity today. And yet this is actually the foundation of Christianity. This ought to be Christianity 101. This ought to be the baby stuff that every person gets when they're first born again. And sad to say it's not that way. So we now come to Romans chapter 6. And in the first five uh, chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has just masterfully proven that relationship with God, righteousness, is by grace through faith. It is not based on our performance. Our performance has nothing to do with us being righteous. Those are radical statements that, again, I know that there's many of you receiving these truths, but there's people all over the world who just choke on that little statement. But that's what Paul had proven. And I mean, he had done it so conclusively that look at this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Here's his next step in this argument. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And of course, the answer to this is given in verse 2. It says, God forbid. And I'll be dealing with that in a moment. But let me just point this out. That when Paul taught on the subject of grace he was constantly having to answer this question. Does this mean that I can just go live in sin because God's not dealing with me based on my actions? This doesn't stop God from loving me, so can I just go live in sin? And the answer was always no. But when Paul taught the gospel, this question always came up. It came up twice right here in Romans chapter 6. There's a total of four times in Paul's writings that he said this same thing. Can we just go live in sin? If you preach grace the way that Paul taught grace, this will be a question that is constantly coming up and that you'll have to answer. And of course, the answer to it is no. And he gives some reasons here in this chapter. But let me just point this out. That if you are going to a church, if if the doctrine that you're under 
never makes you wonder, can I just live in sin because God is not dealing with me based on my sin? If that question never comes up, then you haven't heard the same gospel that Paul preached here in the book of Romans. Man, that's a big statement. But I believe that that's true. And you know what? If many of you would be honest, the church that you go to, nobody ever asks that question. Because sin is just harped on. It's preached on. It's pounded. That man, you know, sin separates from God. I was actually raised in a church. I know some of you are going to think I'm, a, I'm making this up. But this is too wild to make up. Amen. But I actually went to a church where the preacher would just scream and yell and holler. He had an old gravelly voice because he screamed so much. And he would jump up on the podium where you put your Bible, you know, that portion where you lay your Bible. He would jump up and stand on that and bend over and grab the mic and scream and yell. And he would lose up to two, three, four pounds every time he preached through sweat. Sweat would literally come out of his shoes. He would sweat so much just screaming and yelling. Again, I know some of you don't think that that's true, but I'm telling you, that's a true statement. And one of his favorite statements was, sin's got to be judged. Sin's got to be judged. If you sin, God's going to judge you. God's going to get you. And if you would confess it and grovel in the dirt and repent, he might not send you to hell. He might not hit you with the sickness. You might be able to survive and get on, but I can guarantee you he's going to be ticked off every time you sin. Sin's got to be judged. Sin separates from God. The point that he was missing was that sin has been judged in the flesh of the Lord Jesus. And because of that, God's not going to judge me for my sin. That's a radical statement. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no consequences to my sin because I'm not only dealing with God, I'm dealing with people and I'm dealing with the devil operating through people. And if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. If you open up a door, he'll come in with all his demons. And I guarantee you, you are going to suffer if you live in sin. But it's not God judging you. God judged Jesus for our sins and he's not going to judge me because I'm under a new covenant. That's a radical, radical statement. But if you preach the gospel that way, you know what will always come up as a question? People will say, well, then can I just go live in sin because I'm under grace? And Paul answers this in verse 2, and he says, God forbid. Did you know in the Greek language, this is a absolute, unqualified negative, absolutely not. There are no questions about this. No, we are not encouraging sin. People that preach the gospel, the true gospel, are not encouraging sin. In Paul's day, and you can see this in some other places in Scripture. I'm not going to go there right now. But there were people that actually began to start taking the grace of God to such an extreme that it just didn't matter. They were living in sin. They were committing adultery, fornication. They were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. They were doing all of these things. And Paul came out against that. No, I'm not saying this. And in our day, there's people now... You know, grace used not to be popular 40-something years ago, back when I first started teaching it. And uh, I mean, I just was rejected nearly everywhere I went. Now, the grace of God has become more mainstream It's certainly still not the way it should be, but it's more accepted than it used to be. And there's some people that are taking the grace of God now and going to such an extreme that it doesn't matter what you do. Go live in sin, do anything. 
There's actually some friends of mine that are saying that everybody's already born again. There is no such thing as hell. Everybody's saved. And whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you're an atheist, that is not true. That is not what the Bible teaches. But see, there's some people that take the grace of God to where it doesn't even matter whether you believe in God or not. That's wrong. Paul is saying, God forbid, absolutely not. We are not promoting sin. The grace message does not cause people to go live in sin. It'll actually cause you to live holier if you truly get the grace of God. If you truly understand grace, it'll make you live holier accidentally than you've ever lived on purpose before. And that's one way that you can evaluate. Is a person truly operating in the grace of God or are they just you know, playing word games and sitting here and indulging their flesh and using that as an excuse for them to go live in rebellion towards God. You can tell by looking at a person's life. So it says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So in Romans chapter 6, Paul gives two reasons why people who receive the gospel, the grace of God, don't live in sin. And this first reason It goes from uh, verse 2 all the way down to verse 15. This first reason is basically that your nature has been changed. You no longer are a sinner by nature. You no longer are compelled from your core being to go live in sin. But your nature has been changed. And so the first reason that Christians don't live in sin is because you've been freed from sin. You have died to sin. Your nature is no longer an old sinner saved by grace. See, this is where I really differ with a lot of religion today who says, you know, that I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's wrong. I was an old sinner. That was my nature. I was born with a sin nature. But I've been saved by grace. And when I got saved by grace, I am dead to sin. I no longer have a sin nature. Now, I know that there's many of you, again, that have been raised in the theological, under the theological belief that there's a new nature versus the old nature, that there's a white dog fighting a black dog, that there's good and evil in both of us and stuff. And this is probably dominant in church culture, a Christian church culture, to believe that you have two natures and that they are constantly just fighting back and forth. And what I've just said may really upset some of you, but I encourage you to hang with me, to get these materials, to listen to this, because this chapter right here, Romans chapter 6, is making a very clear presentation that you do not have two natures. You aren't schizophrenic. There isn't a part of you that's part devil and part God. When you got born again, you became a brand new creature, and your spirit has been totally changed, and you are dead to sin. Your old nature is dead and gone and non-existent. Now these verses, I'm going to be reading a lot of things that just says this over and over and over, but religion has tried to cope with this by saying, oh yeah, you died to sin, but then every morning this, new, this old nature resurrects and you have to die to yourself every single day. That is not what the Word of God teaches. There is a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul was talking about the resurrection and he was talking about if there isn't a resurrection, well then why am I facing death every single day? And he says, I die daily. 
Now, people have taken that out of context and said that, see, the Apostle Paul died to himself every day and he got up and just had to remind himself that he was a sinner by nature and he had to restrain this nature. That is not what that's talking about. If you read it in context, he's talking about, he was talking about the resurrection and he says, if there is no resurrection, if it's in this life only that we have hope, well, then why am I putting my life on the line every single day. I face death daily. He wasn't talking about dying to his old nature. He was just saying that he was being persecuted. In the very context, he was talking about being stoned and left for dead and all of these kind of things. But so, see, people have wanted to believe that you have an old sin nature and they just take a little scripture like out of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, I die daily. And they say that, see, he has to die and that your your old nature... You put it to death, but then it resurrects every morning and you have to die daily. That's imputing resurrection power to the devil, to this sinful nature, and that is untrue. You died to this sin nature. It is dead. It is gone. It is non-existent. And I know some of you are right now just absolutely shocked. Like, what are you saying? Man, you don't know me. You don't know how I sin. You don't know the lust and the things that are in my life. Here you are saying I'm dead to sin and yet you just, you hadn't hung around me very long or somebody else because you just know that there is this propensity for sin and you by observation say this can't be true. And let me just say this quickly and then I'm going to go through these scriptures and try and deal with it in more detail. But basically it's like your mind is like a computer. It can be programmed. In the way that you program a computer, and it just, you know, it's an operating system, and it just operates that way. It's a mechanical thing, and it just operates the way that it was programmed. Likewise, your old sin nature that was separated from God before you got born again programmed your mind to be selfish, to operate in lust, to do all of these things, to be angry and, and, uh, you know, just... Anything, any any sin, any evil, it came from this nature that was inside of us. Let me skip over here to Ephesians chapter 2 very quickly and just read a passage of Scripture. Some people don't realize that the sin and the evil that's in society and all of this stuff actually comes from Satan and from this sin nature. They just think it's misguided people making mistakes or whatever. But look at this passage of Scripture In Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and in verse 2 it says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. This is talking about a demonic principality, Satan. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. People that don't know God have a spirit working on the inside of them. And I know that this isn't politically correct. I know that there's going to be a lot of people offended because you are walking according to the course of this world. And the Bible doesn't mean much to you. But I'm telling you the truth. That before you get born again, there is a spirit at work in you. And it doesn't have to be demonic in the sense that you're X-rated and that you're just a totally over-the-top evil person. Just selfishness is demonic. Just our promotion of self. God didn't make man to be that way. That is a demonic trait. It's a demonic quality. 
And it, it, you know, it varies from things that are totally accepted and promoted, like our society today promotes self. And you got to take care of yourself and you got to have good, positive self-esteem. And they promote self at the expense and at the exclusion of anybody and everything else. That's a demonic attitude. Jesus said it's in losing your life that you really find life. That it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The true way that God created man to function is different than the course of this world. And whether you recognize it or not, there is a spirit at work in the children of disobedience. And then in verse 3 it says, "...among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." Before you get born again, you have a sinful nature that is operating on the inside of you. And it's that sin nature that causes you to sin. It is not your sins that make you have a sin nature. And so this is what he's talking about right here. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You were at one time dead to God, separated from God through this sinful nature, and you sin, it just caused you to lust. But now you are dead to that. Why is it then that you still sin? It's because your mind was programmed by this old nature. And it's going to continue to function on the operating system that you gave it until you renew your mind. It is no longer your nature that is compelling you to sin. It is an unrenewed mind that hasn't been changed, that it's just continuing to function the way it was programmed. This is the reason that Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You get transformed through the renewing of your mind. Not through having God touch you and do something new. No, God is already in your spirit. You are already totally changed. You don't have a sinful nature. You've got a born-again nature. And the only thing that causes you to still live like a person that isn't born again and commits sin is the fact that you haven't renewed your mind. You can change your mind. And Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your life goes the direction of your dominant thought. And if you are still thinking that, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, but you see yourself as a sinner, you identify with sin, you are evil. There's a part of you that is evil and you just spend the rest of your Christian life trying to restrain the amount of evil. Do you know what? That, that makes you schizophrenic. It causes all kinds of problems and you'll only token... You'll only give token resistance to the devil because after, you know, if you sit there and say, I don't want to commit adultery. I want to be faithful to my wife. I'm not going to do this. And you try and you resist. But if the desire still remains, if the person still is coming on to you, you know what? After a while, you'll give in because after all, that's the way you see yourself. This is who you are. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you could get the attitude that Paul is promoting right here and see that I'm dead to sin, that's not me. I don't care how much I've ever done this in the past. I don't care how many times I've failed in the past. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that as Jesus is, so am I. I am created in righteousness and true holiness. And if you change your identity 
from being an old sinner who was saved by grace to being a person who is saved by grace and now you are the righteousness of God. And you've got the life of God living. And if you see that and really renew your mind with it, that will break the dominion of sin. And it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You'll sit there and say, I can't do this. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. That's not who I am anymore. But see, most Christians are taught that you still have this old sinful nature. Now you've got a new nature on the inside. So you've got two natures. You're taught to be schizophrenic. That's not true. You only have one nature. You've only got one driving force on the inside of you. Some of you are still struggling with this, but you know, think about this. Some of you used to commit adultery, lie and steal, get drunk, do all kinds of things before you got born again. Now you're born again and just not loving your mate the way you should, not paying attention to people, not being as respectful and doing things. Things that were in comparison to before you got born again, they're minor and now those things just break your heart that you do things like this. You know what that is? That is an indication to you that your nature has changed. You used to go out and do these terrible things and never feel a thing about it. Now you can do the smallest little thing and you feel so guilty like, oh God, I failed you again. I didn't want to do this. That is an indication that your nature has changed. You no longer enjoy doing the things that you did before. God has changed you at your nature. And this is the first reason that Paul gives here in Romans chapter 6 of why you don't sin. It's because your nature has been changed. You are no longer a sinner by nature. You know, I'll, I'll get criticism over this. I do every single time. I don't mean this in the way that some people take it. So please listen and use your brain for something besides a hat rack and try and figure out the point I'm making. But you know, the the 12-step programs, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it is, I understand that there's people that have been helped like that. You know, some help is better than no help. And there have been people who have written in to me and they actually had an encounter with God and they uh, have been totally delivered of alcohol, drugs, or whatever. But here's one of the things that I differ with those 12-step programs. Like I used to go to Alcoholics Anonymous with the guy that we were ministering to and we were trying to help him recover. And I sat in on these meetings. And they would stand up and they'd say, Hello, my name is Andrew. I've been an alcoholic for 30 years and I've been sober for two years. But they would identify themselves as being by nature an alcoholic. And they would say things like, I'm only one drink away from being an alcoholic again. And I can understand the benefit of this, that these people don't ever just feel like that they've turned a corner and so therefore that they can't be tempted again. They've got to be on their guard and stuff. And I understand all of that. But I disagree with the fact that they just constantly see themselves as an alcoholic or a drug addict and that they are only one drink away. They, they don't believe that they can be changed at their core they don't believe that they could be totally set free. And I believe, see, that the gospel doesn't just teach you how to uh, control yourself, how to bridle yourself and hold yourself back from doing what you really want to do, but the gospel changes your very nature so that you don't even want to do those things anymore. I have friends that, I mean, were just whoremongers. 
before they got born again. And they are so totally changed that you would never know it. You couldn't even believe that about them because it's not a part of them at all. They, they are just totally changed. And they don't limp through life bearing the shame and the guilt and the stuff of their previous life because they've been totally changed. They're a brand new person and they just live differently. The man who runs our ministry right here, my COO, is a man who is an alcoholic. He was a functional alcoholic. He was able to still work and do stuff. But he was an alcoholic. And I mean, just had some terrible bondage in his life. And he got born again. And today, you would never know it. People, I mean, I've been with him in overseas in places where people drink and do all this stuff. And he doesn't do it socially. He doesn't do it. Any, he's just been totally set free. It, it repulses him. Every time he sees that stuff, it reminds him of how at one time that dominated and controlled his life. And he doesn't go around saying, well, I am an alcoholic, but I've been sober for 10 years or whatever. No, his nature was changed. Now, again, please don't write me. I'm not going to respond to you. If you're one of those that you've been helped by a 12-step program, I understand that some people get help, but I'm saying that there's some flaws in that program. And one of them is the fact that they don't believe your nature can be changed. They don't believe you can be totally delivered. They just believe you can regulate it. That is not Christianity. You are not just an old sinner saved by grace that is learning how to cope and to deal with all of your terrible sin. When you get born again, you get a brand new nature. This old sin nature is gone and you now have a drive on the inside of you to live for God if you were truly born again. There's many scriptures that say that, but here's a very clear one over in 1 John chapter 3. In verses 1 and 2, it talks about that. Well, let me just read it to you. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. If you have been truly born again, every person, every man or woman who has been truly born again, has this hope in him, he purifies himself, even as he is pure. If you are truly born again, your new nature is wanting to live holy. You are wanting to get to where you aren't as mean, where you aren't as selfish, where you don't do these things, that you want to be a godly person. Now, you may be doing a very poor job of it because religion actually strengthens sin in your life. That's what the Bible says 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the law strengthens sin. And most religion today is preaching the law, not preaching the gospel, not preaching grace. And so you could be living a very sinful life, but if you are truly born again, you want to live for God. You seek to purify yourself. And if you aren't desiring to... If you are just saying, man, I love this teaching on grace because I can just go live in sin. I've always wanted to do these things and now I'm free to do them. You ought to get born again. Your heart's not changed. Now, you may not be doing a good job because, again, religion will mess you up. But if you are truly born again, you want to live for God. Your nature has been changed. This is what he says. We are dead to sin. How can we live in it when it's not your nature? 
The only reason, the only exception for that, and he gives this right here, is the law is what strengthens sin in your life and gives sin dominion over you. Not the sin nature, but these actions of sins. And so he says in the next verse, in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? In other words, he's saying this like, Don't you understand that when you got born again, you were baptized into the death of Christ? Now this is talking about in a spiritual sense. You didn't, spirit, you didn't physically die when you got born again, but spiritually you were already dead in sins and you died to that. That old sin nature was separated from you. It was taken out of the way and you received a brand new spirit. Now this is not talking about water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol of what has taken place. The, the symbolism of it is that, see, you're put under the water. You can't live in that environment. You die when you go underwater if you don't come up. But then you die to that old sin nature and then you resurrect in newness of life. It pictures this. But this is talking about the baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about this that we were all baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And when that happened, you were baptized into Christ's death. You died with Jesus to your old sin nature. And you are resurrected in newness of life. So this isn't talking about the water baptism. It's talking about the baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And in verse 4 it says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice the terminology here. It says that we were baptized into His death. This is talking to people who've received their salvation through Jesus. You have already died to this sin nature. You were, it's a done deal. But then, walking in newness of life, it says we should walk in newness of life. That's a conditional deal based on whether you know the truth. John chapter 8 verse 32 says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Only if you know the truth do you experience this resurrection. But you are dead to that sin nature. The sin nature is taken out and you received a new nature. But this new nature is dependent upon you knowing some things. This is what it goes on to say in the next verse. In verse 5 it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. In verse 6, knowing this. Now notice again the terminology. In verse 5 it says, We have been planted together in, in death with Him, but we shall be in newness of life knowing this. Or we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection knowing this. The death to that sin nature is a done deal. Whether you know it or not, whether you believed for it or not, whether you understood this, whether you, it, this is the first time you've ever heard it. If you, first time you got born again, you died to that sin nature. You do not have this sinful, evil nature that is compelling you to sin anymore. But whether you experience the life that this new nature gives you is dependent upon whether or not you renew your mind. I already used that verse, Romans 12 too. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to renew your mind. You have to change the way you think. 
Proverbs 23, 7, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Your mind has been programmed by the old nature and the spirit of the devil that was working through that old nature. You were programmed to think sinful, to be selfish, to be angry, bitter, and lust, and do all of these things. And your mind will continue to control and dominate your actions until you reprogram it or be changed by the renewing of your mind. Your spirit is perfect. Your spirit is in union with God. You've got a brand new spirit that wants to live for God, but it can only access this physical world through your mind. There is no direct connection from your spirit to the natural world. Now that is a key right there. When you get born again, your nature is changed. God does this exchange where He takes your dead nature out and He puts within you a nature that is alive to Him. It's literally the Spirit of His Son that enters into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And so we are totally changed. That takes place automatically. But whether it manifests itself in your emotions and in your actions is dependent upon you knowing this. And look what he said in verse 6. You have to know that your old man is crucified with him. Now this it's dependent upon this. And I'm telling you, this is why so many Christians are living a frustrated, defeated life and just constantly failing in different areas of their life is because they don't know who they are and what they have. They see themselves as this outward person. This is exactly what it's all about. Most people only know themselves based on what their physical body's like, what they look like, and then their emotional realm. But there is a spiritual part that most people don't know. And if you knew who you were, if you knew what Jesus had done for you, then you can do all things through Christ. But see, as long as you think that, well, here's the standard over here that Christians are supposed to live by, but man, I'm not like that. I am this wicked, evil person and you're just an old sinner saved by grace. If you see yourself that way, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes a limitation upon you. You know, I could go in a million different directions right here, but it's only been 11 years ago that the Lord spoke to me about how I was limiting what He could do with my life because of my small thinking. But when I saw what the Lord was telling me and I changed the way I thought about myself and what God could do with me. And I, all of this was internal. I remember calling my staff together. At that time, we had about 20, uh, just under 30 employees. And I called my staff together and I said, I don't know how long it takes to change the way you think and the way you see yourself on the inside. But I, I confessed to them that I hadn't been thinking right. God had spoken to me. I was going to change. And I said, everything's going to change. And before I could tell my partners, before I could go on television, before I could send out a letter, before I let anybody know there was nothing in the natural that happened to facilitate this, but just when I changed the way I thought, it took me about two months to notify people and get this message out. And before that, uh, the message went out, during these two months, our income just skyrocketed. Things began to change. And there was nothing done in the physical. I hadn't let anybody know about it. I didn't tell anybody. But there was just something that happens in the spiritual. I don't know if you get this or not, but there's a lot that happens in our life that it is not just some physical, organic reason for it. There is a spiritual world. There are spiritual dimensions. 
and things going on in the spirit realm. And when I changed the way I thought about myself and about the ministry, the entire ministry changed. And I'm telling you that this is exactly what it's saying here, that you have been planted in the likeness of His death and you will be in the likeness of His resurrection if you know that your old man is dead. If you could see that I am no longer this wicked, evil person. I've been redeemed and transformed. And when you act contrary to this new nature, it doesn't change your nature. And he even makes this point. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but at the end of Romans chapter 6, he makes this exact comparison that your good works couldn't change your old nature. You had to be born again. Likewise, now that you have a new nature, your bad works, your sins, don't change your new nature. You are by nature holy and righteous and pure. And it's not based on your actions or your performance. It was just something that happened. And as you know this, then it will manifest itself in your body. Man, that's powerful. I just pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit gives you understanding of those things that I've said. This could totally change your life. So it says in verse 6, you have to know this, that your old man is crucified with him. The second thing is, that the body, or this would be the results of knowing that your old man is crucified, the results of that will be that the body of sin might be destroyed, and then the end results of that will be that henceforth we should not serve sin. So what's this talking about? Your old sin nature was alive, and it was actually the dominating, controlling force. Most people see their physical life and their mental, emotional life as being the real important parts of them. And then if they even acknowledge the spirit realm, it's kind of over here on the side, and it's not a major player. But the Bible teaches just the opposite. It says in James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that verse says that your spirit is what gives life to your body. Originally, God created Adam and Eve. He made Adam's body and he breathed into it the breath of life. That was the spirit and man became a living soul. It was the spirit that gives life and that's what James 2.26 is saying. So the spirit is actually the dominant driving part of you and when we had a dead spirit or a sin nature, that spirit was driving and compelling us to live in sin and to do all of the things that facilitate sin. When you get born again, that sin nature is gone and you have a brand new spirit, but that old sin nature left behind a body. Just like when a person physically dies, their spirit and soul goes to be with the Lord, but they leave a body. And that body can look like it's still alive, but it's not. The spirit, the driving force, is gone. Likewise, when your old sin nature died and is gone and non-existent, it may look like you still have a sin nature because you still have a tendency to sin. You still have some of the same habits. You might still be smoking or drinking or doing some of these things and find it hard to break. And you say, man, it seems like my sin nature is still there. But again, it's this example that I used earlier. The old sinful nature just programmed your mind like a computer is programmed and it's going to continue to function in that lust and selfishness and all of these evil things until you reprogram it by the Word of God. You know, I know I use this example, but...
But I used to have trouble buttoning my shirt. I can remember when I was a little kid, my dad saying something to me about that. And I don't know why, but I just would not button it properly. Well, I buttoned this shirt. I don't even remember doing it. But you know what? I know I did it. Nobody else dressed me, so I had to have buttoned my shirt. And my point is, see, at one time I remember that it was a struggle for me to do that. Now I can do it just like it's my nature. I don't even remember doing it. I didn't even have to focus on it. It just came naturally. But I can guarantee you it wasn't natural with me. It was an acquired trait. But if you do something repetitively over and over and over again, it can become like a nature to you. And so I'm saying that your sin nature has been destroyed. It is gone. And the only reason that you think you still have a sin nature is because of observation and the fact that you still struggle with some of the same problems that you had before you were born again. But it's just because of the repetition. Your mind has been programmed. It is not your nature, some evil part of you that is compelling you to live this way. It's an unrenewed mind that is continuing to function the way that you programmed it. Now, to me, that changes everything. Because, see, if you think that you by nature are this evil, sinful person, then you, when you resist the devil, it's, it's going to be not with your whole heart because, after all, you are a sinner. That's who you see yourself as being. And if the temptation just t- uh, seems to linger, well, then you know what? You're only human and this is who you are and so you just give in to it. But when you can see that you've been changed, when you know this then it's, it's so much easier for me to say that the only reason I'm struggling with this is because I just haven't been focused on the Lord. I hadn't renewed my mind. I can change the way I think. Boy, this is powerful. So you have to know this. And here's the key. You have to know that your old man is crucified with him. It's dead. And it does not have resurrection power. It doesn't come back from the dead and you have to die daily. It is a done deal. And then... You have to destroy the body of this sin, which is the unrenewed mind, the thoughts, the attitudes, the emotions that that old sin nature taught you. That's the body of sin. And you have to destroy that by the renewing of your mind. And if you do that, well then it says that henceforth you should not serve sin. You no longer are a slave to sin because you've been liberated. You're free. Then in verse 7 it says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Boy, this is powerful. Every one of these verses is just so powerful. If you are dead with Christ to your sinful nature, you are freed from sin. Not free, but freed. F-R-E-E-D. There's a difference between being freed and being free. You know, I've actually read reports during the Civil War in the United States when President Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation and set all of the slaves free, they were freed, F-R-E-E-D. But many of the slave owners kept them in ignorance, didn't let them get this news. And there are documented accounts of slaves still serving as slaves when they had been freed. They were freed, but they weren't free because they didn't know that they were free. Likewise, we have, been, we have died to that old sin nature through Christ and we have been freed, but that doesn't mean that you're free. It depends on whether you know this, that your old man 
is crucified. And then you deal with that body of sin, the unrenewed mind. And then you experience this freedom. Boy, this is powerful. You know, I remember going into jails and ministering to people and I was using these exact passages of Scripture to say that if I said, you're free, you can go. That doesn't mean that they are free. That means they've been freed. They would have to get up off that bunk. They'd have to put their shoes on. They'd have to walk, push the door open and then they'd have to walk out past all of the guards believing that there's going to be no retribution. They would have to believe that they really had been freed and act on it in order to be free. Likewise, you have been freed through Christ. Sin does not have the ability to dominate you. Lust, anger, bitterness, all of these habits, you can break any of those things. Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. The power on the inside of you is infinitely greater. And if you saw who you were in Christ and really understood that you are dead to that old sin nature. You are no longer dominated and controlled by the devil. And if you saw that and believed it and acted on it, then you would be free. But whether you see the freedom or not, you have been freed. And I tell you, that is liberating. In verse 8 it says, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And here again, you got to know something. It says in verse 9, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Here's the next thing it says that you've got to know. You've got to know that this death to sin is permanent. It doesn't resurrect. There is no resurrection power in the old sin nature. It has been put to death. It is dead, gone, and non-existent. And it never fluctuates. Even if you go out and sin... And if you do not appropriate what Jesus has provided for you, and if you blow it big time, did you know in your spirit you are still righteous and holy and pure? All of your sins were forgiven, past, present, and future. It's a done deal, and it, it's over. You have to know that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. You do not have to die to yourself over and over, but you have to just reckon it to be so. That's the point that he's making right here. Death hath no more dominion over him. You've got to know that this sin nature has no more dominion. There is nothing inside of you that is making you act like you do. Romans chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, For in that he died, talking about Jesus, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And the reason he's bringing this up is to show that this is the same attitude that we should have. In the next verse, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed. That means in truth unto sin. Talking about that sin nature. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, let me just make a statement here that I've read uh, other translations of this verse. And I'm not here to pick on anybody. I'm not one of these guys that's a King James only. I use the King James. I think it's the best and I like it. So I'm not apologetic about the King James. But you know what? I'm not opposed to people using some other translations. But I just can't help but mention that the NIV Bible on these verses use, uses the term the sin nature and the old man. And it uses some terms that are based on the theology that I'm teaching against, and it is not what Paul is saying right here. So I'm aware that there's many people, even with some of their translations, that seem to go against some of these things. But to me, it's very clearly here that in the same way that Jesus died unto sin once, 
You just reckon yourself to be dead unto sin also. And it's just a one-time deal. When you get born again, that sin nature is gone and the rest of the Christian life is a renewing of your mind uh, to find out who you are and what you have in Christ. And as you act and think, as you think and act according to who you are in Christ, then your experience will change. That's what it's saying. And so it says um, in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and the lust thereof. You know, this is a radical statement. Most Christians with this theology that you are by nature an old sinner, saved by grace, but your nature is still that of a sinner and that your real salvation takes place in heaven. But right now, all you are, it's just you're like saved and you're waiting on the real redemption to happen later. See, if that's the way that you think, this statement right here seems inappropriate where he says, let not sin therefore reign in your more body. This is a command for you not to let sin reign. And most Christians who have this old way of thinking that you are a sinner saved by grace, they think, but I can't help it. I'm a sinner. I can't overcome these sins. I can't stop gossiping. I can't stop all of these different things. See, that's a person who sees themselves at their core as a sinner. But I was a sinner and I got saved by grace and now I can do all things through Christ. I have a totally different attitude because I have an identity where I am linked to Christ. I'm a brand new person and praise God, I do not have to let sin reign in my mortal body. If you are a true born-again believer, and there needs to be some qualification on that because there's lots of people who call themselves a Christian that you haven't been born again, you haven't been changed, you don't have a new nature. But if you do have a new nature, then I guarantee you there is no excuse for you letting sin dominate you. And I, again, know that there's people that are saying, this is wrong, you aren't being compassionate, you don't have empathy. I'm telling you the truth. It's the truth that sets you free. Just like Paul said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You need to see yourself born again with a righteous nature and that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 What a radical statement. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The next verse in verse 13 says, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members uh, as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, it goes back to the same thing he's been saying. You've got a new nature. Your old sin nature is gone. Act like it. Act like a person who's got a brand new nature. You know, I think I use this illustration too, but I heard Kenneth Hagin one time say that if he ever had a natural gift, it was an ability to pick locks. And before he got born again, all of his friends would use him to pick locks so they could break in and steal. And right after he got healed and saved, his friends came and wanted him to go pick a lock. And he said, I can't do it. They said, what do you mean you can't do it? You can pick any lock. And he says, no, I'm a new person. And see, Kenneth Hagin got this revelation. He knew that his old man was dead and that he was a brand new person. And now he wasn't going to let sin reign in his mortal body. He wasn't going to yield his members to what he used to do because he was a brand new person. Man, that's awesome. In verse 14 it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Man, that's a powerful passage. I could preach on this for hours. 
But you could turn it around and say it this way, that if you are, if sin is having dominion over you, it's because you're under the law and not under grace. You haven't understood the gospel. You aren't living by the grace of God. You aren't seeing that you, who you are in Christ. But instead, you're still under this deception of thinking you've got to do everything right. Did you know, I don't know exactly how to explain this. It seems counterintuitive. But honestly, when you focus on how you have to perform and how you've got to do all of these things in order to obtain God's favor and mercy, it actually makes you act worse. I don't know exactly how that is. I could show this to you in a number of scriptures that the law made sin come alive. It was the strength of sin. It was administration of death and condemnation and on and on. I can show you a lot of scriptures on this. But it seems counterintuitive. It seems like if you wanted to break sin, what you've got to do is start living by a law and just put down these regulations and you've got to just be condemned and guilty if you fail in any area. But it's actually just the opposite. The more you focus on your failures and on your sin and your unworthiness, the more you become like that. The more you focus on the good things and who you are in Christ, the more you will become like that. And I'm telling you, just like this says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace breaks the dominion of sin. It breaks this addiction to sin. It gives you power to overcome. You know, grace can be defined in many different ways, but one of the ways of defining it is talking about God's ability that's available to you on an unearned, undeserved basis. And so when you're talking about grace, you're talking about power to be able to overcome sin and overcome problems and hurts and pains in your life. Grace isn't a license to go live in sin. It's not lasciviousness. But instead, grace is an empowerment for you to live a godly life. Recognizing that you are dead to that sin nature is the most liberating thing for getting free from these actions of sin. In verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. And so beginning in verse 15, he gives a second reason in this uh, sixth chapter of the book of Romans why Christians don't live in sin. When you talk on grace and it's not based on your performance, your holiness doesn't earn you anything extra with God, nor does your unholiness cause rejection from God. If that's so, why don't you sin? The first reason he gave is because your nature's been changed. And then he gives a second reason right here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So the second reason he gives in this chapter why Christians live holy is because if you go live in sin, you yield yourself to the author of that sin, which is the devil. And you give him power and entrance into your life. So even though God isn't bringing his judgment upon your sin, because it was all placed upon Jesus, even though God's not going to punish your sin, sin is an inroad of Satan into your life. You yield yourself to Satan, who is the author of all of that sin, and you give him direct access to you. So even if God isn't punishing you, Satan is going to punish you. People will punish you because of sin. And so the second reason that you live holy is because you don't want to give Satan an inroad into your life. We live in a fallen world. 
And according to 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Satan doesn't just devour everybody because he can't. He has to have your consent and cooperation to be able to destroy your life. And when you yield to sin, you are yielding to Satan. You are giving your consent and your cooperation. You willingly asked for it. And there are consequences to sin. So even though God isn't judging your sin, I think it's still awesome to live a holy life because you don't have to deal with all of the problems, the consequences that come through that sin. And even though I could go do a lot of things, why would I go out and live in sin that would allow the devil to expose it, to devalue my worth in the eyes of people, open myself up to criticism, have people reject me and therefore reject the message that I'm teaching, cause problems between me and my wife, cause financial problems. Why would I do something like that? You know, I'm thinking of a man who was on television more than any person in the history of the world had ever been, had a huge income coming in. This is 20 years ago, eight-something million dollars a month coming into his ministry. And he went out and had a relationship with a prostitute. And he lost it all. He lost his influence. He lost all of that income. He is a fraction of what he used to be. He's still in ministry. For what? A prostitute. It's not worth it. You know what? I believe that God still loves that man. And it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. So God didn't take his calling away. He didn't take his anointing away from this man. God still loves him. The grace of God is still the same. He's still got a brand new nature. He didn't become corrupted in his old nature resurrect. He's still in the spirit. He's still righteous and holy and pure. But man, he's lost a lot. He's lost a lot because he yielded himself to sin. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be one of those casualties. So you know what? I live as holy as I possibly can. I seek the Lord. Man, I keep my mind stayed on Him. I do a lot of things that I don't have to do. But I do a lot of stuff because I'm aware that, man, if I go yield myself to, the, to sin, and this doesn't have to be, you know, one of the big ten or something like that, but I mean, I just go out and start getting into bitterness and griping and complaining. Just become carnal. Quit seeking the Lord. Quit praying. Quit studying the Word. And if I could do those things, God would still love me, but it would allow Satan to limit my effectiveness. It would hurt me. And it would hurt what God's plans for me are. So you know what? I live a holy life. I've used this logic before, but I'm, I praise God that He called me to preach about His grace because one of the criticisms of grace preachers is that you're just preaching on this so that you can go live in sin, so that you can justify an ungodly lifestyle. There's nobody can say that to me. I'm living holier than most of you have ever thought about living. And yet I preach on grace. And see, you can't sit there and say, well, you're just preaching on this to indulge your flesh. Nope, I'm not doing that. I'm preaching on this because it's the truth that set me free. And it didn't set me free to sin. It set me free from sin. So I would say that a third reason that we need to live holy is so that we can present a proper witness it's hard to tell people about how God will set them free if you aren't free. So you need to be walking in freedom. You need to be manifesting, uh, in a sense, you know, displaying 
what God can do in a person's life. It ought to be displayed in your life. And so for your witness sake, you need to live holy. He goes on to say in verse 17, Romans 6, 17, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now in verses 17 through the end of this chapter, he's going to start making a comparison here. And it's very important, the terminology, that you understand this. So look at this again in verse 17. God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. Servants of sin. This word servant here, it's the word dulios. It's the word we get uh, slave from. It was translated slave here in the Bible in different places. And so this is talking about you were bound to sin, that sin was having dominion over you. It's talking about before you get born again that you were the servants of sin, a slave of sin. You used to have a sin nature, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So notice, notice this terminology. This servant of sin is talking about you were a slave of sin. Now it uses the terminology a servant to righteousness. You are now a slave to righteousness. In the same way that that sinful nature just dominated you and controlled you. And I'm sure that before you got born again, many of you saw that your actions were destructive to you and to other people. And you wanted to change, but you couldn't change. It was your nature. And you just found yourself doing the same thing. You were a slave to it. It dominated you. Well, on the opposite side, now that you've been born again, if you would renew your mind and find out who you are, you would find out that you would be a slave to righteousness that you would just be dominated and controlled by righteousness. You couldn't help it. You would just wind up loving other people. You would wind up being merciful and kind. You'd wind up turning the other cheek if you really got a revelation of who Jesus is in you and what He's done. I know some of you that's hard for you to relate to because you've lived under the law, but that's what this is saying. In verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words... Paul is saying, I'm using logic here or reasoning that is not necessarily scriptural or, or godly reasoning, but I'm reasoning with you like a lost man because you, you aren't thinking right. The infirmity of your flesh, you aren't spiritually minded. So I've got to come down to your level and give you a comparison that you understand. So he says, For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. And a modern way of saying this is that you need to serve righteousness as much as you serve sin before you got born again. You need to be as good of a saint as you were a sinner. Man, if you were a whole hog for the devil and you just did anything, I mean, somebody dared you, you would do anything. There was no limits. You just gave yourself totally over to the devil. Likewise, you ought to now give yourself over totally to God you ought to serve God with the same fervor that you used to serve the devil and self. And then in verse 20, it says, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now again, like I was talking about in the 17th verse, when it says servants of sin, it's talking about a slave of sin. This is talking about before you were born again, when you had this sin nature, you were free from righteousness. Now what does that mean? I want you to think about this for just a minute. What does it mean that 
before you got born again, when you were a servant to sin, you were free from righteousness. Does that mean that a lost person can't do anything that's right? Certainly not. I guarantee you, there's some lost people, people that have not accepted the Lord. I know some people who claim to be atheists that are kind people and nice to other people. A person that doesn't believe in God can do something that's right. But what this is saying is that before you get born again, before you get this nature changed, you are free from righteousness. The good works that you do doesn't change your sinful nature. Well, that's a big statement right there. You know, over in the book of Isaiah, it says, can a leopard change his spots? And of course, the obvious answer is no. And he says, but come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. The Lord is saying that, you know, you, you're, you can't change yourself by your good works. There's some people that come to the Lord and make barters with Him. And say, God, if you will save me, then I'll go to church and I'll pay my tithes. And I promise you, I'll quit beating my wife and beating my kids. And I'll live a good life. And they'll, they try and earn these things by doing good, thinking that their good will outweigh their bad. This is saying that, no, when you were a servant of sin, when you had a sin nature, you could do good things, but you were free from that goodness. You were free from that righteousness. It could not change your nature. You have to be born again. Man, that's an important statement right there. And I know that there's people think, well, I go to a church and I live a relatively good life. And, and again, most people think that it's kind of like God just balancing your life. And if your good outweighs your bad, well, then you get in. That's what the Pope said about even atheists. If their good works are more than their bad works, they'll get in. That is not correct. Your good works don't change your nature. You were born a sinner and you have to be born again in order to receive right standing with God. It's not based on your performance. It's a gift. So that's what he's talking about. In verse 21, he says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Well, the answer to this is that when you were a servant to sin, when you saw yourself as an old sinner, Man, you did a good job at it. And even though you might have done some good things, it didn't change your nature. You were at your core a sinner separated from God. And you were very fruitful when you had that mindset. And now it makes a comparison, but it's an opposite comparison. If you accept this one truth over here, well, then the opposite has to be true. In verse 22, it says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now notice the terminology. And remember, this is the same book. It's the same author. It's the same chapter. It's the same context. This is not a new thought. And if, up here in the 20th verse, when he says you were the servants of sin, that's talking about before you got born again, when you still had this sinful nature. Well, then down in the 22nd verse, when it says that you are now servants to God, that's talking about after you get born again. And after your old nature is removed and you receive this born-again spirit. So that's, he's contrasting a servant to sin as being lost, a servant to God as being a person that's born again. And up in verse 20, he says, they are a person that doesn't know the Lord is free from righteousness. It didn't mean that they couldn't do something right, but it meant that that goodness couldn't change their badness. 
You just have to be born again. Well, in the same way, but in the opposite direction, in verse 22, it says, Now being made free from sin, you become servants to God. Free from sin doesn't mean that a Christian can't sin. A Christian can still do things wrong. But what this is saying is that that sin doesn't change your righteous nature that you were born again with any more than your good works could change your sinful nature that you were born with in the physical. Man, that's awesome. When I saw this for the first time, I tell you what, it just transformed me. This was powerful. There's some people that get little glimpses of being in right standing with God by grace. And they will turn to the Lord and they'll just cry out for mercy and then they'll feel the presence and the acceptance of God. And they'll be okay until they blow it again. And then when they mess up, they think, well, I, what God did accept me. He did love me. I have had His pleasure at one time. But man, I messed up. You know, I, I remember this one guy came to one of my meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the guy was high on something. And anyway, I was trying to talk to him and ask him about, are you really serving God? And I was trying to get him to open up. And, and anyway, this guy looked at me and he says, I, I do serve God, but sometimes I messes up. <laughs> and I've thought of that a lot of times. And you know what? This is descriptive of a lot of people. Sometimes they just messes up. And there are people that do this and they will think that, well, I was in right standing with God. God did forgive me, but man, I've messed up since then. And they think that they lose it all. But this is saying that your sin doesn't cause you to lose your righteous nature any more than your goodness caused you to change your sinful nature. You were by nature a sinner and regardless how much good you did, you were still a sinner. Now you are by nature born again. You are in right standing with God. And regardless of how much sin you do, it doesn't change your righteous nature. Now again, does that mean that I'm encouraging people to go live in sin? No, God forbid. Because if you go live in sin, it doesn't change your righteous nature. But boy, it allows the devil to come into your life. He's going to put sickness, poverty, disease, depression, discouragement, fear, anxiety, on and on and on you could go. Satan is going to bring everything he's got to mess your life up. You're just stupid if you go live in sin. But I'm trying to get across that God loves you, stupid. Amen. He still loves you. It doesn't change your righteous nature. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is the Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You relate to God on the basis of who you are in your spirit and in your spirit you are a brand new person. That sinful nature is gone. You've got a righteous nature and God is pleased with you based on who you are in the spirit. But you also have a soul and you live in a body and if you yield your body and your soul to the devil, even though your spirit is in right standing with God and sealed forever, and that sin doesn't penetrate the seal, and you still retain your right standing with God, you are going to suffer in the flesh. So don't do it. As much as you can, live a holy life. Live a separated life. Seek God with all of your heart. And if you're truly born again, that's what you desire to do. And you just need to cooperate with it and seek God. But you are going to mess up. 
Not because you have to, but because none of us do this perfectly. And when you mess up and when you sin, instead of coming under all this condemnation and feeling like, oh no, I lost this right standing with God and now my spirit man, my inner man is polluted again and you have to go beg God for forgiveness. Instead, just stand on these scriptures and say that my sin doesn't change my righteous nature any more than my goodness changed my sinful nature. And you just retain this right standing with God. And then you repent of the sin. This is where 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 comes in. That's talking to believers, and it's talking to people that if you do yield to sin, your spirit is still in right standing with God, but you have given Satan a legal right into your life. It actually would be wrong for God to come and just like, uh, flow through you and deliver you from all of these things when you are the one that welcomed the devil in. You yielded yourself to sin and you therefore yielded yourself to Satan, the author of the sin. You gave him legal right. And God isn't going to come in and just deliver you because you have opened the door to this. You're the one that asked for it. So what do you do if you're in that situation? Your spirit is still in right stand with God, but now your body and your emotions are dominated by the devil because you're the one that invited him in through your sin. What do you do? According to 1 John 1, 9, you confess it. Not for the purpose of getting born again and things like that, but you just confess. The word confess there means to say the same thing. You say, God, you were right. I was wrong. I thought my way was better. I thought it would be better if I go over here and do this. Your word said not to do it, but I did. God, now I'm sorry. I confess it. I agree that you were right. I was wrong. I repent of it. And I take this forgiveness that is in my born-again spirit, and I now release it through repentance out into my mind and into my body. And when you do that, you just take away Satan's legal right that he had to afflict you in that area. You know, I could give you a lot of examples of this. But I remember one specifically where I had stood up to a person who had been like a mentor to me and they just came out against the teaching on righteousness that I had done. And they were saying, no, that's not right. And I wasn't intending to be mean, but I just stood my ground and defended what God had showed me. And as a result, uh, this person got offended. My wife was there, my mother was there, my sister was there. And every one of them said, how could you have treated her that way? After all, she's done for you. And they got to condemning me. And you know, even though I wasn't really bitter or angry when I did, I just stood my ground. I got to doubting this and I got to feeling that, you know what, I deserve this. And because of that, I just didn't have any faith, any confidence that God would flow. Long story, but my son was sick. I was praying over him and it really, really looked bad. And I just couldn't seem to get the healing power of God operating in him. And I had a friend come over who knew the situation, knew that I was feeling condemned about the way I'd talked to this woman. And he came over and he just basically jumped on my case. And he said, how could you, you preach it but you don't live it. You're preaching that you, you know, are still in right standing with God, but because you are thinking that you might have done something wrong, that you might have gotten the flesh and hurt somebody, you are sitting there and allowing Satan to destroy your faith and confidence, and that's the reason that your son's not healed. And he just read me the riot act. You're a hypocrite. You preach it, but you don't live it. 
And anyway, when he left the house, his wife got on his case for him talking to me that way. And he got so condemned over it, he turned around to come back and ask me to forgive him. But did you know within 10 minutes, by the time he left and turned around and came back, my son was already healed because what he said was the truth. And I realized that, you know what, I was letting Satan convince me that I somehow or another had lost my relationship with God, that I'd failed because I'd done something wrong. And I was under this guilt and condemnation. And when I just came back to what the Word says and realized that, no, I'm free. And even though I don't do everything right, and even though I may have been in the flesh, and I might have done something wrong, God still loves me. I just repented, confessed it, turned from that thing, and now Satan's inroad that he had into my life to hinder my faith from working was over, and my son got healed. That's what it's talking about. And notice it says in the last part of this verse, it says, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end to everlasting life. Holiness is a fruit and not a root of salvation. Holiness isn't what causes relationship with God. It's the byproduct of a relationship with God by faith in God's grace. That's a huge statement right there. And again, the vast majority of the Christian realm does not understand that. They think that in order to have relationship with God, you've got to be holy. No, you have relationship with God through putting faith in what Jesus did and His grace. And then holiness is the byproduct of that. In verse 23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is another passage of Scripture that is often pulled out of context. And they teach that because you've sinned, you're going to die and go to hell. But if you will accept salvation, you can have eternal life. And there's a truth there. But in context, this isn't talking about heaven and hell issues. This is talking about Christians and in their personal relationship with God. And it's just saying that if you go out and live in sin, then it's exact same point that was made in verse 16, that you yield yourself to Satan, the author of that sin, and he's going to destroy you because of it. The end result is death. This isn't just talking about physical death where your body dies. This is talking about sickness is a form of death. Depression is a form of death. Poverty is a form of death. Loneliness, anger, bitterness, hurt, rejection, all of those things are a form of death. And if you yield to sin, you are going to experience all of those things of death. But if you yield to God, then you have everlasting life. John chapter 17 verse 3 says, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is talking about relationship with God. If you confess and turn to the Lord, the gift of God is eternal life. It's relationship with God. Notice it's a gift. It's not something you earn. You didn't deserve it. And it's everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord.